Thank you. Thank you. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> and I do that easily. But it's just great to be with you. Good morning and happy Easter. Happy Easter. I can say this for one more day, right? Because we want to get, I want to get anyway, the last drop of grace from the Easter season, right? Shouldn't we all want to receive the last drop of grace from the Easter season? So again, happy Easter. It's great to be with you. Um, it's been a long time. I think the last time I had was in front of a group this big was before COVID, right? And we had one of these things, and maybe that was the last large group that we had. So um, I'm kind of like a bookends on COVID. <laughs> not, not that I would, you know, not that I cherish that, but, uh, um, but anyway. You know, as, as was mentioned, the, um, the theme for today is, uh, for this day of enrichment, is the Eucharist as uh, the foundation uh, for ministry. And yeah, I hope what I share with you will be of some value um, for your lives in ministry. Um, I, whatever I say, you probably have heard before, um, all of you, many of you, I don't know how many of you are um, ecclesial lay ministers, but perhaps most of the, what I might share with you have already heard before, but I think it's always important to um, hear things more than once, to be refreshed once again, and, um, and, and we leave you know, how it impacts our life in a spiritual way um, up to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. So, you know, as I've thought about this theme, there's obviously, there's a lot of different angles which, to which um, to approach it. And um, um, so from my perspective, it'll be nothing new, but it, it's meant to help us understand or recall perhaps um, our own call to ministry um, but to do so in the light of the Eucharist. And so I think it's also a nice way for us to begin um, this Eucharistic, this year of Eucharistic, or this Eucharistic revival that which will take place over the next three years. I would like to begin by speaking about the word ministry. Let's look at it from a scriptural standpoint. First of all, before I do that, I just want to make a connection as, as um, Kelly was, was speaking. Um, because we have been baptized, we cannot separate ministry from life. I mean, we may think about ministry in the sense of a particular type of ministry that I'm doing, but, you know, for us who are baptized in Christ Jesus and confirmed, you know, the whole of our lives are ministry. Every aspect of our lives should be seen as ministry. It's not about doing this thing or doing this thing or participating in this formalized ministry. It's about living as the Lord calls us. So the, the whole of our lives is meant to be seen as ministry. So when we think about the Eucharist as the foundation of ministry, yes, it, we might look at it in the sense of what is the Lord called us to, what ministry has he called us in a very particular way? Um, but it's, I think, even, it's even more importantly, it's, you know, the, the Eucharist is the foundation of, of the very ministry of the whole of our lives. So I just want to kind of put that out there for us to, to keep in the back of our minds as a framework um, for all of this. Because sometimes ministry, people have a, a certain image, and it's basically what you do for the church. Right, and that's uh, that's a very that's a very limited um, definition 
um, of, of the word ministry. So let's um, look at the word ministry from the, the scriptural standpoint. And let's go back to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6. Right? There was a situation going on in the early church that caused the apostles to step forward and to make a big decision on the behalf of the church. And so it's the beginning part of chapter 6 of the Acts of the Apostles. At that time, as the numbers of disciples continued to grow, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the twelve called together the community of the disciples and said, It is not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at table. Brothers, select from among you seven reputable men filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this task, whereas we shall devote our ministry ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The proposal was acceptable to the whole community, so they chose Stephen, a man filled with faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented themselves, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. Even a large group of priests were be, a, a large group of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, if we go before below the surface a little bit, we will notice that when the apostles said they needed to devote themselves to the ministry of the word, the word ministry in Greek is essentially the same word used for serving tables, that which was needed. That which they, um, they needed other people to do, that was we heard in verse 2. And so the word simply means to serve or to execute the command of someone else. To serve or execute the command of someone else. So to be clear, this is not involuntary enslavement or subordination, but it's generously using our gifts and our talents, our abilities to serve others, in the particular way in which the Lord has called them. Similarly, we read much later in the, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, Paul telling the people of Ephesus, or the elders in Ephesus, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So again, it's to serve or to execute the command of someone else. This is Paul's definition. So he's been called to his ministry is to serve and execute the command of whom? Of Jesus, right? That I received from Jesus. So, but no matter where we look in Scripture, we find the word ministry means some type of general service. And from Paul's perspective, it's something, as I said, received from the Lord. And as you and I know, it flows from where? Our baptismal call. The main goal of for every believer, for every church, for every organized ministry within the church must be to work together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world around us. 
with our words so that through the church, in Paul's words, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So think about that in the, in the context of your own ministry. In the words of, of St. Paul um, VI, from his document, Evangelii Nuziandi, it's very clear that the church exists for what? To evangelize. That's it. The church is here in this world for one purpose, and that is to evangelize. And so your role as a baptized believer is for one thing, and that is to? So how are you doing that in your daily life? Something for you to think about. How are you doing that? Living this call to evangelize as a believer, how are you doing that in your daily life? But in this, in this document, the church exists to evangelize, to proclaim Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, Pentecost is tomorrow, right? I can't wait. I can't wait. It's one of my favorite solemnities. To proclaim Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the people in our times will open their hearts to him and find in the Lord and in his church salvation. Salvation from their sins and the path to authentic holiness. Now, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? You probably heard that before, but it's good to hear it again and again and again and again. So at the heart of your ministry is really <laughs> to evangelize. So again, as you think about your respective ministries, how is this call to evangelize being realized in what you do and how will you carry out your ministry? And more importantly, I think, in how you live your life. More importantly, how you can't separate. You know, we can't compartmentalize our life in such a way that, well, this is this, and then this is this, and this is this. Because the Holy Spirit in our hearts doesn't, he's, the Holy Spirit is not in compartments in our lives, right? Right? It's not. So why should we compartmentalize what the Holy Spirit desires of us, right? So before I move to where the Eucharist fits into all this, I want to say one more thing about ministry. It's just a nice reminder. Your ministry is a part of the Lord's salvific plan for this time in history. Think about that. For this time in history for you and for the church. You were born for this time. It's not coincidental. Because nothing in the heart of God is coincidental. You were born for this time in history and in the history of the church as it is today. And we can complain about all oh, who's not coming back and who's this and this, but you were born for this time in the church, in the history of the church, and in the history of the world. We can't forget that, right? We may not, again, we may not always be constantly aware of this fact, but in, in fact, in, in, in the midst of ministry, you know, God looks to reveal something to us about Him, about ourselves, about the church, about the truth of our faith, about the events of our lives that are all in relation to Him. Right? It's all about in this in relationship to Him. 
And so while our ministry is that of service to others in the name of the church, it's also important for us not to miss, not to miss how God is at work in us and through us and for us. Because there are many graces to be received from the Lord as we go about doing the Lord's work. And when we take time to reflect theologically upon our experiences in life and ministry, I think we observe more clearly the particular graces that the Lord is offering to us through our service in the church. And obviously, a greater receptivity of the Lord's graces brings us deeper into this friendship with him and allows us to live our lives more abundantly in Christ. And as we live more abundantly in Christ, we become more our authentic self and we embrace more a Eucharistic life. So let's look at how the Eucharist is the foundation of ministry. I want to begin with these words from John's Gospel. And they will be very familiar to you. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper... Fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Master, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will understand later. And Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but my hands and head as well. And Jesus said to him, Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he is clean all over. So you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put his garments back on and reclined again at table, he said to them, Do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so, for indeed I am. If I, therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Amen, amen, I say to you, no slave is greater than his master, nor any messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you understand this, blessed are you if you do it. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know those whom I have chosen. But so that the scripture might be fulfilled, the one who ate my food has raised his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you it before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe that I am. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever receives the, word, the one I sent receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Well, I'm just, I'll, just, I'll just leave it there. So the context, in my belief, for all of ministry flows from this teaching of Jesus. This is what is called the mandatum, the mandate to the apostles and to his all his disciples. Because this upper room event would also be the foreshadowing of what would happen the next day. Jesus' humble service in giving his life as a ransom for many. Now, it's in this beautiful event, I think it's important to know that this true dynamism of love expressed by Jesus is the movement and humility of God himself, God humbling himself and coming down to earth in Jesus. Jesus showing us the love of the Father, a love that will be poured out upon all of humanity for its salvation from the cross. So in this, in this he expresses the meaning, the full meaning of his life. He reveals his deepest identity. And obviously, this gesture of washing the disciples' feet kind of threw them off balance. I mean, how could Jesus, their master and Lord, like, do such a thing? I mean, how could he lower himself to slave standards? Because that's what he did, right? They must have thought, is he crazy? Like, this guy is something wrong here. But think about this. So Jesus kneels before each one of them, including Judas, including Judas, to wash their feet. He wants to show his disciples and us that power is released through powerlessness. Power is released through powerlessness, through the death of self, through giving one's life away, if you want power, then give your life away. That's it. He wants his apostles to learn that the greatest is the least, and the least is the greatest in the Father's kingdom. So he's teaching them that if they are too caught up in the worldly mindset of power, any grand illusions of greatness, that they will be powerless in a spiritual sense. So in some sense, he's teaching them about priesthood and what it should be like, but we all share in the common priesthood of Jesus Christ, don't we? Jesus tells Peter that if he does not agree, agree to have his feet washed, he will, be, he will put himself outside of discipleship. 
and the kingdom. Jesus is teaching them to, that to be a part of the kingdom, they need to allow their sins to be washed away so that his love can operate in them and work through them. But this demonstration of love would not be the end. This demonstration of love, which I'm referring to, is the washing of the feet. The humility of Jesus would also be displayed at the table. Right? At the meal. At the supper. Where he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. Obviously in that upper room the apostles experienced the institution of the Holy Eucharist. So in the Blessed Sacrament, in this Holy Eucharist, we see the profound humility of Jesus. Here, again, Jesus humbles himself to come among us in the form of ordinary food. Right? When we think about it, bread is just simple fare. Right? It's just food for the poor. Unlike a tenderloin of beef, <laughs> maybe simple fare for you, I don't know, but it's not for me. So, but unlike this tenderloin of beef, bread is always eaten as a side, right? It's always eaten as a side. Hardly noticed, Right? But yet, this is how Jesus wanted to humbly remain with us. He became small for us. He became small for us. This, perhaps, is the greatest example of self-effacing love, being small for someone else. Isn't that at the heart of ministry? being small for someone else. He became small for us so that his power may be released to us. So in the Holy Eucharist, every time we celebrate Mass, every time you participate in the Holy Eucharist, Jesus once again kneels before you. He kneels before us and gives himself freely and completely holding nothing back. You know, such, such humility, right? Such humility. St. Teresa, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she once said, the God whom the whole universe cannot contain contains himself in a small host. Let that soak in. but it is only the pure of heart. In other words, those who are simple and humble, who are able to see clearly that this is the way Jesus wished to remain with us until the end of the world. This is the way in which Jesus would continue to love his own in the world and love them to the end. 
by providing the sustenance which allows you and us, you and I, all of us to lay down our lives and wash the feet of others through our lives and ministry. This is why I, I believe the Eucharist is the foundation for all ministry. Because at the heart of it all, Jesus has left us an example. And each and every one of us who have been baptized and who have believed are called to wash the feet of others. Again, in the words of consecration, we hear this. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Perhaps using other words, we might say, model whom you receive. Model whom you receive. Therefore, Mass can never be reduced to something we attend, a mere event for our personal satisfaction and consolation. When we come to Mass, it's not about me, what I'm, get, what I'm getting out of it. That's, that's nothing, if that's our mindset, then we've missed the boat. Right? Jesus did not give us the Eucharist to make us feel good. He has given us himself so that we can become whom we receive and then go out and imitate what he did for us. And if we are to imitate Christ, we too must practice humility. The servant is not greater than his master. And we know that Peter came around in the end in this thought process, don't we? You know, his response, you will never wash my feet, was transformed into, Lord, wash my feet daily in your love. This should be our daily prayer as well. Lord, wash my feet daily in your love. And thanking the Lord Jesus who humbly kneels before us, giving us all we need. This is what, we, what happens each time we come to share in the Eucharist. Because remember, his presence is outside of time and space. So think about this in this very moment. The Christ in us, the Lord Jesus, is kneeling before us right now, desiring to wash our feet as we live our own Paschal mystery and endure the challenges that come our way in life and ministry. So the pattern for Christian ministry is provided by the life of Jesus who came not to serve, to receive service, but to give it. As I said before, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. And though we have a mandate from Christ himself, it's impossible, I think, to carry out our mission through our own power and personal achievements. Because then it becomes my ministry and not the Lord's ministry. Then we become possessive. You ever been in a parish where somebody can't break into a ministry because people have possessed it? This is what's happened. Right? It happens in all parishes. Right? And that's sad. 
and you take it away and then the whole hell breaks loose, right? <laughs> true, it's true. I've, I've been a pastor for a number of years, so I, I, <laughs> I, I know what that's like, right? It's not easy. So, so it's impossible to carry out, our, our, out Christ's mission through our own power and personal achievements. We can only do it from the strength that comes from the Lord Jesus, that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the sacramental life of the church. Here we can learn from an English monk of Kelham, right? A.G. Herbert. And he was a proponent with, within Anglicanism of the ideas of the liturgical movement. He noted this. He said the role of the sacraments... So it's not just the Eucharist, the role of the sacraments, was to empower Christians to take their ministry out into the world and to recognize that the entire world belongs to Christ. Not just the good parts of the entire world. The entire world belongs to Christ. Lest we forget that. And in the same way, the fathers of the Second Vatican Council wrote in the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. Let me share a couple of paragraphs. They wrote, For the liturgy, through the work of our redemption, is accomplished, most of all in the divine sacrifice of the Eucharist, is the outstanding means whereby the faithful express in their lives and manifest to others the ministry of Christ and the real nature of the true church. While the liturgy daily builds up those who are within into a, those who are within into a holy temple of the Lord, into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit, to the mature measure of the fullness of Christ, at the same time it marvelously strengthens the power to preach Christ and thus shows forth the church to those who are outside as a sign lifted up among the nations under the scattered children of God may be gathered together until there is one sheepfold and one shepherd. Right? That's just in the introduction of that document, paragraph two. It's also important to look at the liturgy as the summit and source toward which all the activity of the church is directed. And at the same time, it is the font from which all her powers flow. For the aim and the object of all apostolic works is that all who are made sons and daughters of God by faith and baptism, all of us, should come together to praise God in the midst of his church, to take part in the sacrifice, and to share in the Lord's Supper. Then, from the liturgy, and especially from the Eucharist, as from a font, grace is poured forth upon us. And the sanctification of humanity in Christ and the glorification of God, to which all other activities of the church are directed as toward their end, is achieved. Not just achieved, it's achieved in the most efficacious possible way. So, friends, as a minister of the new evangelizations, as the ministers of the gospel, as ecclesial ministers of the church, as those called to a life of ministry in the church, it seems evident to me that we cannot live without the Eucharist if we are to be ministers in the name of Jesus. 
Also in the Constitution and the Sacred Liturgy, the fathers of the, of the Council deemed that the liturgy to be the primary and indispensable source for which the faithful are to derive true Christian spirit. So if there's ever that temptation to skip Mass, right? I'm on vacation. I was always told when I was in seminary, you never take a vacation from your vocation, right? And then if we look at the Catechism, it states that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. So why would you want to miss that, right? The source and the summit. Don't you want to go to the mountaintop, the summit? The other sacraments and all, all ecclesial ministries and works of the apostolate are bound up with the Eucharist and oriented toward it. For in the Blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself. So this, let me bring this to a, a conclusion here, but I want to do it with some words from Father Winifred Stinnison. He's a Carmelite. You know, the pattern for Christian ministry is provided by the life of Jesus. And so he has some thoughts on this, in this you know, and, and, and he frames it as a, as a Eucharistic ethic. Okay, And it's in this book. It's a great book. You should all get it and read it, especially in this Eucharistic renewal. Right? Bread that is broken. Williford Stenison. So in this book, he asks the question, what is the moment in Jesus' life when, a completely, when in a completely special way he shows us who he is and what he wants? A moment when he expresses his inmost being, when he sums up his whole life and at the same time he explains the meaning of life. What is that moment? Sinison says that moment comes when he says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. It is then precisely then that he also says, do this in memory of me. Stinnison goes on to say that the Eucharist is the fundamental norm for our actions. The fundamental norm for our actions, the Eucharist. Jesus' Eucharistic sacrifice is our ideal, our guiding principle, our rule. And he says a rule that is much more demanding than a monastery rule. He would say that because he's a Carmelite. <laughs> Since it does not leave anything in life unaffected. Right? When we wonder how we shall act, these are his words, not mine, when we wonder how we shall act, the answer is, look at the Eucharist. There is the Christian life in its fullness. Look at the Eucharist. Therefore, the Christian ethic is a Eucharistic ethic. Jesus has instituted the Eucharist so that we have his sacrifice in our midst as a constant source of inspiration and a clear, clear, clear reference point 
The Eucharist is a criterion when it is a question of judging our actions. Are they or are they not in accord with the Eucharist? Are they or not they in accord with the Eucharist? And so we know the Eucharist is the summary of the Christ, Christ's entire life. Therefore, it is the source of a specific Christian behavior on all levels. And Stenison says it regulates all of our relations. Our relationship to God. To be totally offered to him in, and, and live in constant thanksgiving. It regulates our relation to each other. To be each other's servants. And it regulates our relation to nature in the world, meaning to consider and use them so that they may reveal something of God's glory. So as Father Stenison says, nothing, nothing lies outside the influence of the Eucharist. The answer to the question, how shall I live, always ought to be, live Eucharistically.